If you have your Bibles, if you'll open with me to the book of Acts, chapter 25, um, that's where we will begin this morning. We're going to kind of hone in on verse 19 this morning. Um, but on May 17th of 2015, we began this year-long journey, over a year-long journey through the book of Acts. And what we've seen is the spread of the early Christian church. And we've seen the spread of the gospel message. And what we see is in this book is Christianity began with 120 men and women interacting face-to-face with the resurrected Jesus in Jerusalem, face-to-face with him. And then the book will end um, with Paul in Rome over 2,799.4 miles from where it all began. And so what we'll see and what we've discovered is over the span of 35 to 40 years, we began to witness an empire to to begin to be transformed by the gospel message. And what we also discover about the gospel message is that it crosses socioeconomic and ethnic lines. That's incredible. No other religion can, has that claim. And what, and what we see when we mean by it, it crosses socioeconomic and ethnic lines is that the haves and the have-nots are closer together. The gospel has brought them closer together. It has broke them down. Acts chapter 19, verse 10, the physician and historian Luke tells us that the gospel spread to all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And that's including Rome. Now, when Paul writes this, or when when Luke writes this, what he says when he writes this word heard, it's not that they believed, that everyone believed the gospel they heard it, and what we see is we see kind of two factions begin to form. Those that give their life to the gospel and those that are violent towards the gospel. So they didn't believe, but what it says, they knew what the gospel was. And they didn't hear it because their friend tweeted it or posted it on Facebook or watched it on CNN. What it means is that the original 120 men and women were going out into the world and they were speaking the gospel from their mouths and living it by their lifestyles. That's how the gospel was spreading. See, it it all started with a resurrected Jesus when he came to us in Acts 1.8 and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and into the ends of the earth. Let Let me just break down and unpack the power behind this scripture. What it tells us is that, the, that tomorrow and the future is not a place he knows about, but it is already a place he is and exists and will ever be. I know, mind-blowing. Like, I can't wrap my mind around that. He already knows it. He's already there. He's living there waiting for me to come and join him. He's already mapped out my life, my purpose for his glory, not mine. He's already there. See, to the people of this day and age, the end of the earth was Rome. They're like, yeah, we're going to Rome. And God's going, nope, you're going to go farther than that. And what he says is that that, that brought the gospel to you and to me. God already knew, but they had no clue. But the gospel 
spread there. See, the spreading of the gospel was an unprecedented event in human history. No other, no other religion has done what the gospel of Jesus Christ has done. See, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the men and women that made up the churches that Paul was planting in this time, what they did is they grabbed hold of, they seized every opportunity to make much of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Every single opportunity that was presented to them. Or they sought out those opportunities. It was everything in their life. We've got to be looking to seize those opportunities. Let me ask you this question. If I was to ask a friend in your life, if you take every opportunity to proclaim the good news to them, what would they say? Every opportunity. I'm just going to tell you, if you're here this morning and you go to lunch with me and you're lost, I'm driving the conversation to Jesus. Just FYI. I hope that doesn't deter you from going to lunch with me. But I'm looking for every opportunity. We should be looking for that. So where are we in the book of Acts? So in the book of Acts, we'll pick it up in verse 19. But Paul stands before Festus, who succeeded Felix. I just love these biblical names, don't you? Festus, Felix, Agrippa. I mean, some incredible names, right? And, and so what happens is, is that Festus, not wanting to cause a riot amongst the Jews who are attempting to kill Paul, the people that uphold the law and live according to the law are trying to commit a sin. I think the law says something, do not commit murder, but yet they're trying to murder Paul. It just doesn't make sense. So Festus leaves him in jail, and then Festus says, hey, Paul, um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to move your trial back to Jerusalem. Paul plays his send me to Rome card. He said, nope, send me to Rome. I'm going to appeal to Caesar. I'm a Roman citizen. Send me to Rome. So he's up the stakes a little bit. And so Festus is now bound by the Roman law to send him to Rome, not back to Jerusalem. Here's what's amazing about this. God's unwinding. He's, he's, he's fulfilling his story. He's been compelling Paul to go to Rome, and now look where we're going. We're going to Rome. So that the name of Jesus can be proclaimed. But here's the issue that Festus has before him. He has no idea what to write about the charges against Paul. He's like, he hasn't committed any, any kind of wrongdoing according to the Roman law. Actually, what, you, what we have here is you have, a, you have an issue with him because he's, he, he counters your, your religion. You have an issue amongst your own religion here. So what does Festus do? He goes, i got to go talk to King Agrippa. So he goes and he seeks counsel with King Agrippa. You'll find out next week what happens in that story. So there's a little cliffhanger, so come back next week, and you'll find out what happens there. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 25, if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 13. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. 
As they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left, in, left prisoner by Felix. And when, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge, charge laid against him. Verse 17, so when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, verse 19, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Verse 20, being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. You may be seated. So what we discover, we're going we're gonna to spend the majority of our time unpacking verse 19. And what we see is, in this verse, rather they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion. A non-Christian who doesn't even know Jesus says, look, the issue is with your religion. Paul's proclaiming Jesus, and you're saying he's wrong. You've got to figure that out on your own. And so what Paul is proclaiming, and that Festus even tells us, is that he's, Jesus is not dead, he's alive. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, what is your life proclaiming? Is Jesus dead, or is Jesus alive? Is Jesus dead in your life, or is he alive? So let's unpack that. Because of the gospel, because of the gospels, what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross we must live our lives as though he is alive. That is, that, is, that is of the essence in our relationships. That is important in our relationships. See, many of us live our lives like many non-believers as though Jesus is dead or irrelevant to us. See, some people have had bad experiences with the church, with Christians, and with religion. And here's the fact behind that. That's horrific. That is, that is horrific because, because we as believers become the greatest single cause of atheism because we are defrauding the gospel. We, the way that we live our lives, we proclaim one thing, but we live another and it turns people away from Jesus. That is devastating and that is horrific. That is a travesty. See, there are those of us who live as though Jesus is just a simple add-on to our lives, but not Lord of our lives. That's so huge. See, we, we, we get busy and we create our lists and we create our schedules and we're like, okay, from eight to five, I can give him five minutes here and I can give him five minutes there. When Jesus, for what he did for us, should drive and empower that list to where it all consumes by him. Our lists, our to-do, our lives are consumed and wrapped around Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. But yet, I'll just slot him in when it feels good for me when it's convenient for me. Just think, if Jesus says, I'll go to the cross for you when it's convenient for me. 
I'm in hell, thanks. See, when we live this way, we as believers and those as non-believers are missing out on forgiveness and eternal life. It's devastating. See, Jesus is just not some historical man that religious people still like to talk about. See, as the church, we've placed so much emphasis on knowing proper doctrine that we haven't taken what the Bible says and we haven't let it be a mirror to our lives and then live it out and proclaim it. But yet, I'll spend time in it, I'll I'll, I'll read it, and that's not wrong, but if I read it and I don't let it transform me and I don't live it out in my relationships, it's done nothing. I haven't let it be the gospel of Jesus and for what he's intended it to be. I've created my own gospel. That's, that's, that's weight. That is weighty. That weighs on me. See, the bottom line is, is that we, if we as the church cannot demonstrate how Jesus can make a profound difference in people's lives, then we proclaim a false gospel. Do you walk around as though Jesus did nothing for you? I know I do it. I'm not perfect. See, if if our gospel that we say we believe and that we live is not founded on the teachings and the person of Jesus, we don't know the gospel message. We We haven't heard the entire story. We don't know truly, genuinely what the story is. But what we've created is our own gospel to justify our sinful lifestyles. Guys, if you're not in God's word, you don't know what the gospel message is. You gotta be in the word. But here's what I know to be true. There are going to be many, many people who reject the name of Jesus. They will. But some of those people are waiting for you and for me to live out what Jesus said. And when they see it and they see it manifested out of us, they begin to ask questions. They want to know, why are you so weird? And I get to say, because of Jesus, because I love Jesus. Why are you so crazy? Why do you yell at us from a stage? It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. It's because he's alive. I mean, see, so many of us walk around like like Jesus is still dead, that we live such defeated lives. But the power of the good news of Jesus is this. If you're here this morning and you hear nothing else, lives are changed by the power of the gospel. Hope is restored. Joy is bestowed. There's a release of peace. There's purpose for living because of Jesus. John 10.10 shouts this, I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. I want that life. I crave that life, not what I want. It's not the life that I want, but it's the life that Jesus intended for me to have since Genesis chapter one. It's that shalom, it's that peace. This is the Jesus we proclaim at Fellowship of Grace. This is the Jesus we celebrate, is a risen Jesus. If you're here this morning in, in your life, in your life, you are proclaiming that Jesus is alive. And what I mean by that is you've had an encounter 
with Jesus. See, Paul, in the book of Acts, we discovered had a Damascus experience with Jesus. Jesus transformed his life on the road to Damascus. That's where Jesus changed his, he took Paul's life and just turned him upside down, gave him a whole new purpose, gave him a whole new mission, and set him on what he originally intended him to do and to be. See, the fact of the matter is, we've all had our Damascus moments, but yet they're all fleeting moments that we forget. And we need to hold on to that Damascus moment and remember at that time when Jesus spoke into my life and his word convicted me and transformed me, I hold on to that. I had my Damascus moment and I live as, as though he transformed me. See, Paul, in his Damascus moment, was consumed by Jesus and he says, I'll go where you command me to go. I'll live according to your truth. And I'll share the good news about Jesus. He, he said the same thing for us. That's our same mission. That's what Jesus did for us. Those of you sitting out here and you're living and you've encountered that risen Jesus, please be encouraged, my brothers and sisters. I implore you, don't stop. Seek him daily. Be in the word daily. Run after him. Pursue him. Let his word speak in and through you and transform you and convict you. Confess sin one to another. Live in authentic and pursue genuine, authentic, biblical community. See, when we say that we've encountered Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, Jesus is more than just a story. He's not some pop-up story book that we read. You know those pop-up books where you open them up and the things pop up? right? He's not one of those for us. He's, he's more than a person who died 2,000 years ago. And, and when I live my life as though he is alive, what, I, what we believe and what we live out is that our sin is gone. My guilt is gone. My, my original purpose in life is restored. I'm in the will of God. My fears turn to victories. My, my fear is turned to joy and to hope. That's the good news of Jesus. My desires and my habits are changing. Hunger and thirst after him, I implore you to live for him. I pray, and I know others pray, that we are a church that cries out for the Lord to give us boldness to share the gospel. And I, I know that I'm the director of Upwards, so I'm going to make a little bit of a plug here, but um, we've, we've kind of made it easy for you. I mean, we've given you a ministry that we've just been like, here's the spoon. We, we've made it easy. Because there's a lost and dying community that are going to come, and yes, they think they're playing basketball, which they are in reality, but I'm putting Jesus before them. We're going to put Jesus before them, and we're going to tell them how he transforms their life. Last year, we had five, five athletes give their life to Christ. That's what it's all about. Not how many kids we have. By the way, this year for camp, we have 36 kids signed up. That's 10 more than last year, and over half of them are new families. That's God. That's God. I hope you're ready to love them and to share Jesus with him.
See, we need to be praying for boldness to proclaim Jesus in our marriages, in how we raise our children, how we respect the authorities that God has placed over us, amen? Especially in this day and age and what is going on in our society today, we, that is just a fleeting moment, that is just a fleeting memory. We have no concept of authority, but Jesus has put them over us and we are to submit to them. But they ultimately submit to God. And we need to proclaim him in our relationships at work, in our relationships here at church. Allow Jesus to be the one that fills your cup daily, not the world. The world will lie to you. It will steal from you. It will cheat you. It will leave you empty. and It will leave you broken. So how do I live as though I'm alive in Christ? I must die to self. In Galatians 2.20, Paul writes these words, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 21, he writes this, for to, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We all know those passages, do we not? But a life that is alive in Christ lives those out. They're just not mere words that we read in Scripture, but we seek and we hunger and we desire to allow our lives to proclaim those words in everything that we do. Let me put my cards on the table. Let me be transparent with you for just a moment. I am not perfect at this. And sometimes I'm too busy living the life that James wants to live. There are times when James thinks he's smarter than God. There are times when James suppresses the truth and believes a lie over the word of God. James did that this week and made a financial decision that was not honoring to God. And I had to repent of that. And I had to ask for forgiveness for that because I got greedy. I got greedy with God. And he broke me. And, and here's, here's, the, here's kind of a, it's a hard way that God works. But when we're living in sin and we think that God doesn't know, when we've committed ourselves to genuine, authentic, biblical community, he will out you. He will out me. That's what he does, and it hurts, and it's embarrassing. But you know what? Because of the good news of Jesus, I am forgiven, and I can repent of that. That's what the gospel moves me to. And that's what the gospel should move us towards, is forgiveness and repentance. There's freedom in the gospel. See, when I, when I talk about being smarter than God, what I'm saying is, is that what we've done is when we suppress the truth and we believe a lie over the word of God, what, I'm, what, what we do is we say, I'm going to put myself on the throne of my life. Jesus, you just stay right here. You watch. I got this. So, so, so for example, you get a bonus check from, from work. Oh, here, I got this. And then it goes wrong. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. You, you take back over the throne, I, I'm submit to you, that's yours, right? My wife makes me mad, I got this. I want back on that throne. 
and then it goes way wrong. And then I'm like, I'm sorry, God, that's your throne. I submit to you. Do, are we not like that? We, we want so badly to have the reins, and Jesus goes, you're just going to screw it up. I'll stand here and wait, but it's actually my throne. So get off of it and let him have the throne that he originally gave us to be his from the beginning. Amen? Guys, sin, sin sucks. I'm just going to tell you. It hurts. But you know what I love about the body of Christ when we've committed to genuine, authentic relationships? There's love and there's forgiveness. And there's healing and there's restoration. Take yourself off the throne and put him back up there. When you step off that throne and then when you try to step back on that throne and then you step off of it again, we've engaged in, in that awkward dance of sanctification. One step forward, two step back. One step forward, two steps back. Such an awkward dance. We're stepping all over God's toes, but he lets us. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to carry you because you can't figure it out. Believers, if you're here this morning, if we will remain dead to ourselves, it is a lot easier for Jesus to show he is alive. If we will just, just stop trying to think that we can figure this out to our flesh, fleshly thoughts and seek to think as Jesus thinks and to do the things that Jesus did. See, if, if our selfish, prideful, and deceitful hearts will just remain dead, then the people of this world will be able to see that Jesus is alive today. Unbelievers, if you're here today and like, what is this crazy man ranting about? L let me tell you, from the beginning and until today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news for all. And if you've gone to church and you've had a bad experience or you've had a conversation and you haven't heard the whole story, come find me after here. Come find a pastor and let us sit down, let us pray with you, and let us share the entire story of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Seek that out. And the message I plead desperately for you to hear this morning is that not that you're going to hell, but that if you're going to get there, you're going to have to step across a way out. That's so, man, to, to think that, that God loved me, that he gave me that, that way out, that I step around that, and I say, I, I've got this, I can figure this out. See, our message at Fellowship of Grace is that not that you should be ashamed of yourself, but that God has made a way out of shame. I don't have to feel shame because of my sin, because if I repent, he restores. See, we, when Pastor Michael and the, the beginning people who, who began to plant Fellowship of Grace, uh, they didn't plant Fellowship of Grace or start Fellowship of Grace, so it's some sort of drive-in guilting gathering. It's not so we can come in here and say, let us guilt you. No, it's saying, let us tell you about, the, about Jesus 
and what, he, what he's done for you. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to hold you accountable. We're going to confess sin to one another. But we're going to tell you the good news of Jesus. Jesus eradicates guilt. And I implore you this morning, if you are here and you don't know Jesus, today is the day. Today is the day for you to love and to trust him and let him heal you, let him restore you, let him release peace and give you a new purpose. Let's pray. Gracious God, we we thank you for today. We thank you that you are God who loves us, restores us, heals us, transforms you, transforms us. But gracious God, we we are we are for, forever in your debt because you are alive and you have saved us. And I pray that if we are here this morning and we are living as though Jesus is dead, that we will just stop. And we will proclaim by our lifestyles that your son is alive. Father, may we be encouraged this morning that if we're living that encounter that we had with Jesus and we're living it boldly, that we are encouraged to continue that. God, we love you and we praise you and we pray this in your name. Amen.